Good evening here for us, and welcome to the Beer and Bible Podcast. This would be episode 11 for us. Yeah, episode 11. Episode 11. From Kansas. Kansas. We are just on the what? Just on the border of Kansas and Missouri, mm-hmm. Troy, Kansas. Um, we've been at the wine, water to wine gathering at the Word of Life Church um, in Missouri, St. Joseph, Missouri, for the last couple of days. And yeah, we're going to do a podcast from here, seeing that we're together and we have a whole place to ourselves. Yeah. Um, and we're going to continue in our series that we've been doing, mini series on kind of heroes of the Bible or um, really flannel graphs gone wrong yeah. is maybe more accurate. Um, we talked about David and Abraham. Now, uh, Jonah was one that I really wanted to get into. And we're going to be doing a little bit different this time. We're going to be reading the whole text one chapter at a time. Um, we're reading from the New Living Translation, not ESV, not King James, not that one. It's one that we're not as I don't read out of that much, but the story flows really well. Yeah, so we want to highlight the fact that translations are tools. None of these are the original text. ESV is not the original text. So we have these tools and use the right tool for the right job. If you're struggling to read through the Bible because the words just seem foreign or um, the word order screws with your head, Try another translation. And that's why there are some people who love the King James, because it's what they grew up on, mm-hmm. and that's what they understand. And there's other yep. people who love the ESV, because it's more common vernacular. Mm-hmm. Some like the New Living Translation, some like the Message, even. <gasps> NIV is really popular as well. NIV. We won't talk about NIV. No, NIV the is perfectly Nearly perfect. inspired version. Nearly inspired? Oh, I thought it was the not inspired version. <laughs> um, I got into the NASB, but anyway. Oh, yeah. that, Yep. But uh, so the NLT is very readable, um, New Living Translation, and it will serve our purposes for a story driven text that we're going to read. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start. We good? We good. Ready? Okay. Chapter 1 Jonah runs from the Lord. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction, to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to the to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you be asleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? 
What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship out, ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm, the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. They can hear the bells. Can you hear the grandfather clock? It's a beautiful clock. It is. So, <laughs> you can narrate a book. I, okay, sure. I really like this translation, how it's reading already. Why? What, what, what is it about it that you like? I mean, most people have heard the story of Jonah before, whether it's flannel graph or the whole pastor standing up saying, see what happens when you run away from God? Mm -hmm. And, um... You were talking to me earlier about this, the the fact that you kind of see this as a kind of a comedy at the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that was why I wanted to change the translation up, because I wanted something that showed some of the humor, the satire. I mean, we are reading a big fish story. It is. Oh. <laughs> but I'm... Um, so we have the story, we have the people in the yeah. story that we know. We know Jonah, we know he's running away. Yep. And um, and why is he running away? Where is he being sent? He's been sent to Nineveh. Where, where is Nineveh? It's the capital of Assyria. They're the bad guys at this time. They are the bad guys. It's very possible that Jonah, Jonah's friends and or family and or relatives were um, killed, possibly raped. Yeah. Destroyed their house, possibly taken. Um, Jonah, as a Hebrew... And his people fell captive to the Assyrians. They are the big bad wolves. And God is sending Jonah to Nineveh to announce his judgment. Mm -hmm. Saying, hey, you guys are evil. You guys are wicked. A judgment is coming to you. Mm -hmm. And Jonah kind of goes, uh, no. Jonah does not want to deliver the message. And we don't know why yet. No, we have no idea why he doesn't at this point in the story. After all, that's his job. He is a prophet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go, God. But um, is that like the way it says it goes the opposite direction? He's not even just like staying there saying mm -hmm. no. He's like, no, and I'm going the opposite way. Yeah. So there are several things that are kind of placed to make us chuckle or at least um, provide some irony. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is that. 
The other is a storm is sent, and he, Jonah tells them, well, I worship the God who created the earth and the wind, the water, and in the fact of the storm. Um, so all the all the pagans on board are trying to target the exact god that they offended. Jonah knows which god he offended. He offended the god that asked him to go to Nineveh. He offended the one who created the seas. And it's interesting that um, in the first chapter it also says he has already told them that he's running from the Lord. So he gets on this ship, going the opposite direction, telling them, I'm running from God. A storm decides to show up, and everybody tries to work out which God is it, because that, I mean, in this time and age, that's the way people viewed weather. Like, the gods, or the god is angry, this is why it's happening. Um, or the gods are happy sending rains on the on the crops. But in this context, the god, some god is angry, we've got to find out who it is. And they start worshipping all, or giving all, but praying to all their other gods, and Jonah's like, no, it's my fault. Kind of like, yeah, I know what's going on. Kind of, I'm caught in the middle. It's, yeah, it's me. And the irony is, he's being sent to pagan Gentile peoples, um, and he doesn't want to go spread God's message. So God sends a storm, and who is saved on page one of Jonah? Yeah. <laughs> so the irony is, even in his running and fleeing, God uses this moment to uh, draw people onto himself. And I like the, the picture where the, he says, throw me into the sea, and um, the storm will stop. And even they see the insanity of sacrificing another human. They, they, they're they starting to try and paddle to get back to land. They're like, we're not throwing this guy overboard. Yeah. And they beg for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, it's super the, interesting so far. At the end, it says, And the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. They were awestruck by God's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So, like you said, they're supposed to tell Nineveh to repent, and the pagans on the boats repent. So, he's still doing God's work. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not, he's doing God's work. You can go in the opposite direction. But that kind of sets the story. Um, he's got a task to do, and he runs the opposite way, as we do. And then um, we see that God is still orchestrating the events, even in the act of his disobedience. It's not a, it's not a whale, is it? Uh, it says fish. It says fish. I think fish. Oh, because this is, yeah, okay. Yeah. So we're going to go into chapter. scientific reasons, too, like the whole, the, like, I can't remember what they're called, but the... The blowhole on top? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the... Oh, never mind. I'm not a marine biologist. No, but if you are, send us an email and correct us on mistakes. Yeah, there's scientific reasons that a whale would be bad for Jonah. Something about those uh, fins in its mouth that filter the fish. Oh, what, it's slice and dice them? Yeah, I can't remember what they're called, though. So we've got a monster fish. Maybe a dinosaur. Maybe. That can ham. It's a dinosaur. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yep. So we're going into Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, this is a New Living Translation again. And it starts like this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, 
I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the, into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look out once more towards your holy temple. I sink beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates were locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my, earnest and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with song and praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, and my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is really comical to me because here's the guy that ran from the Lord and uh, he finds himself in trouble. And, and then he says, Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Is that a true statement? Oh no, no. He's he is running from God's yeah. presence or trying his best. Yet I look once more toward your holy temple. You're in a fish. You can't see anything. And I sank beneath the waves. This next uh, stanza of his song, poem, prayer, um, sounds a lot more like death than being a fish, yeah. which is a theory held by um, some critics, is that he's actually describing death and uh, the sort of resurrection that happens. Um, I sank beneath the waves, the waters closed over me, seaweed wrapped around my head. Um, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. Um, but then, so this is the irony again, coming back. Those who worship false gods turn their back backs on all God's mercies. They didn't in chapter one. Oh, no, in chapter one, they like all turn to God. Yep. So he's in denial of like repentance of other people right now. Yep. Um, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fill all my vows. Yeah. Uh, the complete opposite of everything he's been doing yeah. since chapter one. He's not offering He's running from God. He's not embracing right. anything about God. He's not offering sacrifices. He's caught in this pinch. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he's like, well, you know, I will do all this. But it's also kind of uh, par for the course because he is a Jew. He has his civil religion. And let's just be honest, uh, he doesn't mind doing a sacrifice or worshiping on Sunday, or actually in his case, Saturday. Um, and he doesn't mind fulfilling his vows to keep the laws. What he does not want to do is go to the people that have persecuted him and offer forgiveness the forgiveness of God. Not even yeah. his forgiveness. He just has to tell them on God's behalf to repent. That's it. Yeah, he's not asking much. Right. And he's running from that already. So he's he's willing to do all the civil side of his religion. Mm -hmm. But when God's asking him to do something a bit greater, he's boxed at it and he goes the opposite direction. Okay. But he's still willing to do all that other stuff. 
Yeah. And those are things that he, if I feel like he's saying, these are things that are going to appease God. He's yeah. angry at me, but I'm so willing to do all this. Yeah. So chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. So here's attempt number two. <laughs> Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, so on the first day, it takes how many days? Three. three okay, days. I just want to point that out now. Okay, I'll continue the story. So on the first day, <laughs> on the day he entered the city, he shouts to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh be believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Very trendy. Um, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on heaps of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one. Not even the animals from your herds or flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pay, pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps yet even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to the, all their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Those animals in burlap. I mean, that's trendy. Uh -huh. I mean, I've seen like people put sweaters on their dogs. I don't know about burlap sacks on their sheep. So again, more ironies and comical stuff is, uh, so Jonah's obeying, but you've got a city three and a half times, or three and a half days, or three days worth of walking. Everything. Yeah. You're going to see everything. You'd think to get to the center of town, he would have walked at least a day and a half. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Three divided by two. <laughs> My math skills aren't yeah. good, but it's one and a half. So that would give him uh, maximum exposure. But he stops the first day. On day one, he walks in, yep. does his deed. Yep. Uh, do you want to read for us his wonderful message that he gives them? This is like an amazing sermon. The ultimate altar call. Chapter 4? No, chapter 3. Uh, when he shouts to the crowd. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's uh, 40 days from now, oh, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That whole thing. I was looking for like a long <laughs> dissertation here. No, it's that simple. That's a, I mean, that's a sermon that people like, quick and easy, yep. straight to the point. Yep. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the message. And what ha what Nineveh's reaction is classic uh -huh. in this story. They believed it. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait, this is really going to happen. Yeah. Uh, this empire, um, who's sitting quite well on the global stage, I might add, historically speaking, mm -hmm. uh, they're doing pretty well for themselves. But this random Hebrew guy walks in, says, begrudgingly says a few words, and all of a sudden mass repentance on a national scale happens. Not, I mean, 
the way this is laid out is this is a huge metropolitan style city. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's trading going on, there's entertainment, there's whatever. It's a huge city. Restaurants. Restaurants. There's everything in what you consider a up and coming or actually a very important capital city. And some random Hebrew guy walks in and half-assedly basically <laughs> says, uh, four days from now, you know, God's going to destroy you. See you guys later. 40 days. What did I say? 40 days, yep. Four days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And for some reason, they all listen to this guy. He has he hasn't sent flyers out ahead of time saying, Come to the big revival. It's just uh, all it took. Here it is. You'll be destroyed. So the king himself, when he hears this, takes off his royal robes, um, dresses himself in burlap, and sat in a heap of ashes. Uh, and then he sends out the decree that even animals have to stop eating. Everybody needs to fast. I'm trying to get your dog to stop eating. Like, it's not easy. Imagine calling a national fast. Yeah. Or what one Hebrew yeah. man says, begrudgingly. Yep. Um, I think in light of where we are this weekend, that we're um, part of a conference that teaches nonviolence. Um, they said um, that they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Yeah. Very, very poor, what they need to stop doing. Yep. Evil and violence. Yep. And then I like, I like this translation. He's like, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Um, so God does. He changed his mind. Mm-hmm. Like some people will not be comfortable with you saying that. What the God changed his mind? That mm-hmm. God intended to destroy them? Yeah, it's, like, it's only doing that because uh, uh, it's the NLT. Oh, okay. I think it's because of the King James. <laughs> um, actually, there is a biblical basis for God's uh, God's decrees or His uh, threats and warnings being altered by the faithfulness of people. Moses did it. Yep. Changed God's mind. But that's a whole other podcast. So Jonah 4 starts off with that idea of God changing his mind because it says this in in verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plants. This is like really random. This plant shows up anyway. And God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, and so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. 
The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die? Even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did not put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And there it ends. That's the end of the book. There's no chapter 5? No, that's the end. It's the end. So I like this chapter a lot. This is a good chapter. And this is where the real satire comes out. Um, because... Um, it begins with Jonah saying, I knew you would do this. Like, first of all, he's on good enough terms with God to talk in this way. But he's like, um, I knew this was going to happen, and I'm going to be so mad if I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And then, so he predicted 40 days. Yeah. So he can't just, like, sit outside and watch his uh, wristwatch. He's got to go build a shelter because he's going to live uh, about a month and a half to wait and see if his prediction is going to happen. Um, I don't think he's just like complaining though. Like, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? No, you didn't. You ran the other way. Yeah. And that is why I ran. So he, he's saying, I ran because I knew, and, and who complains about this? I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God slow to getting angry and filled with them. God, I'm really mad that you're merciful. I'm really mad that you're full of love. You can't save them, God, or they can't be a part of your family, God. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly what he's saying. Yeah. It's a uh, indictment, really. <laughs> because, we, I mean, it's the idea that his, his anger against God is based on God's forgiveness. Oh, that might strike home to uh, struck home a little bit. Oh. Here, yeah. Do we get angry over God's forgiveness? God, you can't forgive them. Or God, you can't include them. Yeah. They're not like us. Kind of a theme. Yeah. Then there's a plant. <laughs> God gives them an object lesson. Jonah's not getting it. Yeah, and this is not a flannel graph object lesson. This is a... So he sits down, and it says, God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Grows pretty quickly. And it's Jonah's, just... I can just imagine Jonah sitting there, and up pops this plant. And it's, I mean, he's got 40 days, but still, you know, describes it as growing up quickly. Yeah, and, and it covers it over his head, shading him from the sun. So I have this picture of him sitting in like his shelter or outside his shelter with this leafy plant over him, waiting for like a comet to fall on the sky and destroy yeah. Nineveh. I was gonna say he's probably drinking like a Bloody Mary or something, but he's uh, clearly Baptist, so <laughs> so he's not drinking. He's having a rum and coke with another rum. Hey, hey, Tito does that to you. Yeah. <laughs> so then, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Uh, oh, yes, yeah. angry enough to die. <laughs> then the Lord says, uh, you feel sorry for the plant, but you did nothing to put it there. 
like let's apply that to our lives for a second. The things we get angry about, do we have any vested stake in them? Mm-hmm. I mean, compared to God, the trivial things that we get. Yeah. Right. No, we don't. And and Jonah's in the same place. Like he he didn't plant this and nurture it to grow. It provided him something, and that's where his anger is based in. I no longer have shade. Yep. Now, this is one area where I miss the uh, the ESV, because I want to see if I can read that last line. Bear with us, because we're, is we're dealing with uh, Troy internet speeds, not building. Keep giving it. I miss my rural building internet speeds. There it is. Okay, so at the end where he says, where God is um, reminding him of why why he should realize that there's a lot at stake when destroying a city. God doesn't take it lightly to destroy a city. And if the people are going to repent, then God feels sorry for them and wants to see this through. He's going to allow them to repent. And so in verse 11 of chapter 4, in the ESV now, uh, God says this, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left? I like that phrase. <laughs> and then also much cattle. <laughs> yeah. There's animals. And, yeah, and they were in the cattle too, Jonah. <laughs> what do they do to you? <laughs> I mean, when you read it this if you read it this way, I mean, that's why I mean, sometimes you got to take the scriptures not lightly, but you got to take them in that humorous sense that some of them mm-hmm. is written. I myself, as well as many others, are thoroughly convinced that Jonah is written as an ancient Jewish satire. It didn't really happen. Well, that's, oh, sorry. that's besides the point. Yeah, I mean, it could have. It, could, but it that's is not a big fish story, but that's kind of besides <laughs> the point. Um, the satire is found in one... Jonah has disobeyed God as well. Doesn't he deserve the same fate as Nineveh? And yet he's shown mercy and then still has the audacity to desire that they be punished for their disobedience while he gets to watch. Yeah. Um, so there's just a ton of irony, ton of humor. And um, that also that parallels between like the civil law that he follows and the religious law that he follows mm-hmm. and not not willing to even obey God. He's one of those things that are expected of him but nothing more well and even the ending um that the final words are there's also a lot of cows there yeah. <laughs> i should tell you this right off the bat that this is supposed to be a funny book yeah so that's jonah yeah that was a quick one as well yeah how long have we talked i don't know obadiah next <laughs> we're around 30 minutes this could end up being the shortest podcast. 31 minutes. Um, so let's do some life application. <laughs> or you'll get swallowed by a whale or a fish. Stay away from water when you're running away from God. A um, couple historical details. If you don't know who or what Assyria is, um, they are similar to Babylon in ethnicity. Um, and they were also, we're talking about a time period um, around the time of when Babylon comes um, and takes over. Mm-hmm. So 
were placed in the time of the prophets. Jonah is supposed to be a prophet yeah. to the enemy. Because there are a couple different types of prophets in the Bible. There are ones that go to the Jewish kings. And then there are ones that are supposed to go to the foreign kings. And some do both. <laughs> but Jonah is given a very specific task, which he refuses. It also speaks to the fact that God isn't just focusing strictly on Israel. That God is sending prophets to the other nations as well to have them follow him. It's not just a story. It's not just an, an exclusive. He's not just an exclusive God just to Israel. He's trying to be very inclusive with everybody else as well. Yeah. And it was our Abraham podcast that we did recently where we talked about God like sending out scouts to check out the wicked cities. Yeah. And how in this case the reports have come back clearly negative. Um, Nineveh is a wicked city. It's very violent. Um, Assyria um, was actually known for impaling uh, using they were, they were kind of the beginning of hoisting people up on pikes and spikes and like pre-crucifixion. yeah pre-crucifixion stuff they were pretty tenacious they were uh, very vicious people the whole game of thrones cutting people's heads off and putting them on sticks yeah i would liken them to if people know anything about like the mongolian like mm -hmm. genghis khan yeah. they were known for their um mounted archery and things like that assyria was a pretty tough nation yeah and Nineveh was their capital city. So this is a, this is a big deal. We'd be like walking in if... Um, I don't want to use America because people like America. Let's pick on Germany. Okay. Um, during World, World War II. Germany in World War II. It would be like if somebody from the church, which I'm okay. sure this probably happened yet, about an hour. Um, if somebody walked in to the capital city and said 40 days you're going to be destroyed and then all of a sudden Hitler and all of Third Reich um, Come on. no 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 don't no do no, no don't do it and they repent um, quick have the uh, wiener schnitzel dogs put on sackcloth and ashes <laughs> pose for Instagram um, so they that that's kind of the type of situation we're talking about. It's yeah. like ugly people, not physically speaking, but it's a people that everybody is disgusted by. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just they're cruel, they're harsh, and that wouldn't be a fun job. First of all, to go there, you'd be worried for your life. Yeah. But secondly, to have to warn them. Um, Jonah's disdain for going into perspective. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to end up on a pole outside of Nineveh as a uh, warning to other prophets. Mm -hmm. Don't come in here saying you're crazy stuff. Jonah's theology, though, is in the right place. Because in chapter 4, when he says, I knew you were God, um, <laughs> abundant in mercy and compassionate. Yeah, he's got, he's got a good view of who God is. He just does not want God to... God. Maybe he's in that he wants tension. God to look more like him. Maybe he's in that tension where he's like, I don't know, deconstructing his faith. 
coming out of there going, ah, oh, I knew you were going to be a loving God. Why did I even bother coming then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he clearly wishes God was more in his image rather yeah. than the other way around. He's, he's looking forward to violence on the people of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. I think part of our of the application that we can really draw from this is let's not be bitter about the loving kindness and grace and mercy that God and hopefully we give to other people. That when we experience the love, grace, and mercy of God and we can ex- and we experience the compassion that God has for us in our repentance, that we can show that to others. And Jonah is not in that place. Even for himself. I mean, he's still, he's still looking at himself seeing what God's taking away from him instead of the death of 120,000 people. Yeah. And while it's written in a very humorous, satirical way, it's, 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 it's getting that message across. Sometimes the message needs to be given in that, in that manner for it to sink in. Sometimes we need to stab in the face and other times we need to laugh. Oh, oh, that's awkward. Yeah. I'm thinking Babylon B. Yeah. So Babylon B is a Christian satire. Uh, website. So Christian onion. They uh they've made fun of many things about me before, and I'm originally like hey, but then I have to chuckle. Um, usually it's about worship leaders and getting stuck in never-ending bridge chorus loops or skinny jeans <laughs> on the worship pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Babylon B comes up with a bunch of brilliant stuff that kind of puts us in our place. Yeah. Now the thing is. When this is written, and who it's being told to, there are, I would say, more than not, people feel the way Jonah does in the story. Oh yeah, this is an attempt to humanize Nineveh as well. Yeah, whoever wrote this originally probably got um, stoned to death or something. I mean, whoever wrote this story definitely felt the wrath of their people. Because nobody liked Nineveh. The Jews didn't. Uh, none of the other uh, ancient Near Eastern peoples in the surrounding vicinity cared for Nineveh. Nobody likes Nineveh. And yet, in the story, the, Nineveh, the people of Nineveh repent, and Jonah does not. Yeah, they're the good guys almost in this. Yeah. They're the ones who hear the cry of God and hear the, the call to repentance and do it. Jonah leaves the story angry. Yep. He's, like the old, he's like the older brother in the part of the son. That ends the uh, narrative with, since he doesn't care about the people, he tries to get them to care about the cows. Yeah. Why do you care about the people? Good stick, but it got to waste. cows do to you? <laughs> yeah. So, I like it. Jonah is hopefully a gut check to all of us before we begin hating people. Yeah. Um, a reminder to us to bring God's be open to God's mercy on whomever it may fall. And a reminder that there's a lot of different types of literature in the Bible. Yeah. A lot of different types. And I've read Jonah multiple times and I've found the humor in it, but I haven't really read it as like the satire. I found the humor, the chuckles, but when you grow up sometimes, trying to argue if it was a fish or a whale and the scientific reasons for how all that could happen. 
you're missing the point. Historically speaking, there was a whale spotted off the coast of Nineveh. <laughs> what this monster? But yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those books. I'm glad we read through um, verse by verse, as it gives you that. It gives you insight into the literature. Good one. Yeah. But, um, we'll go ahead. I was just going to say, I'd like to, I think we should look into more um, books like that that are shorter, that have a kind of pointed message. Because a lot of times, just because it's short doesn't mean you're not going to find meaningful content. What did you next? Jude. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story about Jude. They weren't sure if they should put it in the Bible. Yeah, we should discuss that one. Yeah. Wrestling with over Moses' body. Yeah, the assumption of Moses. Yeah. Okay, nerding out a little bit. Um, so I, because I'm still on the keto diet, I'm drinking the Kraken rum uh, with Zevia Coke. And I'm going to promote the Zevia Coke, because rum is rum. This is pretty good rum. But if I wasn't on keto, I'd be drinking some beers. Um, Zevia is a great sugar-free option if you're drinking pop you should stop because it's full of sugar out of this podcast with dan's health tips yeah i mean just if you want to have teeth when you're 80 sure. drop the pop even if you don't have teeth and you're 80 you end up in the lake of fire god will give you those teeth for the national <laughs> that's a statement somebody made in our Conference where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, what if I don't have teeth? Teeth will be provided. God will give you teeth. In the spirit of our local flavor, you're drinking something cool. Yeah, um, we went out for dinner this evening and I asked the local place if they had anything local on tap. But the poor waiter looked at me confused. So I didn't get anything local, but I went to the gas station and I found. Boulevard Brewing Company, which is out of Kansas City. It's been around since uh, eight, 1989. So really good, actually. This is their, it's called the Radler, and it is a ginger lemon um, beer. And it says that it is a uh, sunshine, sunshine, sunshine. <laughs> the season calls for a uniquely refreshing brew with the added zing, ginger lemon. It takes you on that classic German cyclist trip. It is really easy to drink more than two of these. You have not. I have not. No, no, not yet. Um, but no, I thought if we're in Missouri, well, we're technically in Kansas, Kansas but we've been in Missouri, and this is bottled in uh, Kansas City, that um, we'll try something good. And I would, I would buy this again. Mm-hmm. It is really good. Um, side note, now that we've done all of our tasks and our duties for this podcast, we've met a lot of cool people. Oh gosh, every, every so, conference. Yeah. Shout out to um, all the wonderful people we met. We hung out with a guy named JC today. Yeah. Um, he was fun. And I don't know if he'll ever listen to our podcast, but um, it was cool to just meet a bunch of people that are like minded um, in varying stages of wrestling with what um, faith, spirituality, and sure. what the Bible is. How to read it? role in society and life, and multiple denominations. That has been the oh, unique yeah. thing. Yeah. Everything from 
Pentecostal, lots of Pentecostals, to, right <laughs> to Baptists, uh, Southern Baptists, Episcopalians, Mennonites. Um, what is uh, Father Kenny? Um, charismatic uh, mm-hmm. Anglican? Charismatic Anglican. That was a unique mixture and blend. Um, he's in Michigan as well. He's in Detroit. We're planning to go and see him sometime. Yeah. We're going to hold his feet to the fire because he committed to a podcast with us. Yeah, and it'll be a good podcast. The guy is kind of like a wealth of wisdom and experience and uh, stories. If you look up Father Kenny, he's he's provided us with a lot of really good content. And right now, Tom Rundell is sitting there. He's listening to this going, what? He agreed to do that? <laughs> what are you talking about? No. Yeah, so there's been a long-standing joke that I was going to get Father Kenny to come on our podcast, and uh, I was told that it wouldn't happen, that he's uh, too big for us. Well, he was the first person we met getting out of the car at this conference. I almost tackled him at his vehicle, and then we were buddies the whole weekend, so. We're out for dinner with him tonight. It was nice. So. Awesome people, awesome conference. Uh, wish you could be here with us. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe maybe again. next year. Um, but thank you all. Uh, this is a very short podcast for us. It was. But we can leave it there. We will. So this is episode 11. We already announced it. Let's not mess up our numbers. Okay. We'll catch you guys later. Bye. Later.